If you want to learn how to go viral on social media, how to deliver your message through social media channels, or if you're thinking about starting your own media company, then I think you're going to love today's episode. My guest today was Alex Banks. He went from zero to 100,000 followers on Twitter in just 10 months. And he really figured out that game. He's a, he, he learned how to be a good storyteller. He learned what works. And then up on top of that social media presence, he built a newsletter, which is now 13,000 subscribers. And then on top of that, he also built a SaaS company recently. So he is an ambitious, clever young guy who I'm sure he's going to go on and do incredible things. And I'm sure you're going to learn a lot of interesting things from him. I sure did. And if you like stories about founders in the UK, UK startups, uh, if you want to learn about what's going on in the startup scene, then please subscribe to the podcast because that's what the Founders Lounge is all about. Now, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Founders Lounge. Matisse, real pleasure to be here. Man, so I, you know, I came across you on Twitter and I feel like I start half of my episodes like that because that's where I come across <laughs> a lot of cool people. That's just, that's just how it is. And um, you create a lot of cool stuff. Um, you are a content creator. You write a lot of cool stuff. You've grown your online presence a lot in a very, uh, in a very short period of time. And I I can't wait to dive into that. Um, but maybe just to, to start, how, like, how do you introduce yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? Sure. Well, my name is Alex, uh, for those of you who aren't, who aren't aware, (laughs) but no, I guess jokes aside, um, I've been creating content now for the last 10 months. So since January, um, but I guess my background more formally was in traditional finance ahead of me taking that leap from consumer to creator. Um, but no- nonetheless, back in, back in January, obviously took the, uh, took the step across the chasm and really decided to start exploring my curiosity in the world of finance, specifically relating to startups and venture capital. And it was through the continuation of my writing that I was able to um, to form through the noise um, and, and ultimately bring about uh, bring about TribeScan, which is a new, a new tool that uh, that was recently released back in September. So, I guess um, slightly entrepreneurial. Uh, I love storytelling and everything in between. I think those are a couple of uh, core characteristics that I like to hold myself to nowadays. Uh huh. So a lot happened in the last ten months. Um, from what I can see on the surface, right? And we're going to dive deeper into that, but you've got 100,000 or so followers on Twitter, which is, I mean, that that probably brings you to like the top of Twitter users in some like top certain percentage in terms of the number of followers. Um, but, and we'll talk more about that later because uh, I'm just curious how you, you know, how you achieved that. Uh, but why, so you studied finance. How old are mm-hmm. you now? I'm 24. How old are you now? You're 24. Okay. So I would imagine that most of your classmates went ahead and got some, got a job in, I don't know, banking or McKinsey consulting mm-hmm. or something. Why, why not that? Why did you decide? You said, you said, no, I'm going to be tweeting a lot and I'm going to make money with that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fascinating story, Matisse. So I'm really glad you, you've raised this point. So All right, before we continue, I want to take a second to talk about our sponsor. I've always been saying that one of the best ways to learn about business is by working closely with a smart and successful entrepreneur, and this might be your opportunity. Our sponsor is a company called JudgeMe. JudgeMe is a Shopify product review plugin, and they're the number one plugin on Shopify. They're literally, if you look at the Shopify app store, they're in the first spot. They're bootstrapped, and they managed to outcompete other companies that raised hundreds of millions of dollars by just being smarter and building a better product. They were started by PJ, who was also a guest on the Founders Lounge, episode 54, so I recommend you to check it out. They recently moved their headquarters to London and they're looking for smart people to join them. They're looking for product managers, engineers, and they're looking to fill other roles as well. So check out careers.judge.me and see if you find any role that you like and apply. So that's careers.judge.me. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. It was during COVID, so 2020, where I had wrapped up my undergraduate degree. I did that in economics and finance. And I was essentially in this little bit of limbo where 
there was a lot of uncertainty around where I really wanted to steer the direction of my career. Um, and at least in terms of where that uncertainty led, you know, I, I was going, it could be, you know, me, me working in a bank, me being a consultant, but at least how I was defining that path there and then, Matisse, it was, it, it was very uncertain. So I thought, look, I've got a little bit, little bit of time on my hands. Let me start an online blog, um, which uh, failed horrendously because no one ever read anything that I wrote. <laughs> and I was sort of questioning questioning all my writing, going, look, I'd spent days on this. Why is, why is no one reading it? Why is no one reading it? Um, and then uh, obviously that, that led to me uh, starting writing on Twitter. Um, but at least back then, during that you know time where everything was up in the air, there was a lot of restrictions in place. I was going, okay, how can I uh, quite prudently characterize myself so that I could you know secure a future for myself and my loved ones? So I thought, look, let's just start applying to master's degrees because I'd always wanted to pursue finance that one layer further, and I thought a master's degree would be a nice opportunity to pull back the cover, so to speak. So. I did, and I was lucky enough to be accepted to Imperial, Imperial College London over here in the UK. And I studied for my master's in finance, and that began back in September of 2021. And I'll tell you what, it was such a wonderful experience, and the cohort was just spectacular. I mean, it combines individuals from all across the globe, at least, you know, um, the, the far corners of, you know, Bermuda, all across Asia, South Africa, Every continent you can think of, this is sort of a hub of, of, of students from 127 nationalities, which is pretty wild. Oh, wow. Anyway, it was very apparent after spending the first few weeks with these people that they were, or at least for the majority, there was a very clearly defined route that they wanted to exit from this, from this program. You know, it was either um, consulting or big four or investment banking. And I thought, oh, okay, this 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 sounds, you know, quite quite flash. You know, they're going to be flaunting their business cards. They're going to be, you know, having a having a whale of a time. So I thought, uh, I'll see if this is catching my 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 intrigue, so to speak. Anyway, as the weeks went by and the first few months, it was coming to sort of October November time. So I was I was a good few months within within the program, and this was when I started consuming quite a bit of content on Twitter. Now, I'd always had an account, but I was never particularly active. Um, mm -hmm. But these, these individuals started to come across my feed where they'd get thousands of likes, millions of impressions, and ultimately write some really interesting stories. And I'd go, huh, this is, this is kind of cool because this guy or girl is writing something that they believe strongly about and they can post it online for free. And that could be subject to thousands of eyeballs. And I thought this, this is really starting to interest me because the traditional route of finance that I was eyeing up Matisse, it was very rigid, you know, very, very hush hush. It wasn't particularly spoken about outside of its select circles versus playing the great online game and writing online. It was completely the opposite. It was mm -hmm. sharing all my thoughts, a lot of freedom, a lot of, I guess at least it wasn't, I guess, uninterrupted by, um, by, you know, selected genders or ideals or things like that. And having that freedom, so to speak, was really, really appealing. So I, I decided to take that leap um, coming to the end of 2021. And I started to write a little bit of my own within the remit of finance. And Inside of which, you know, I was quite unsure as to where I wanted to steer steer the boat, so to speak. There was a lot of uncertainty around, or oh, is it, you know, later stage private equity stuff that I want to be talking about? Or is it early stage startups? Is it storytelling? But I think one thing that, whilst it slightly tied me up at the beginning, is very clear now, Matisse, is that the more you write and the more consistent you are, the greater the clarity you get around where your niche will eventually be. And I think that's uh -huh. super, super critical in finding what not to do, which will then ultimately lead you to your calling and what your audience ultimately sees huge amounts of value that you that you provide. So started then developing my sort of my, my narrative, my niche around startups and storytelling. 
um, and found a little bit of traction, which was which was kind of cool. Uh, I guess March March April time, but the first sort of three four months were a huge slog. I mean, you know, this was pushing content. It was sitting in the dark, um, and me going, okay, now now my now my my course mates here are sort of securing these these uh, you know job offers for analyst roles, associate roles at these huge institutions, and I'm here, you know, getting a like or two on on one of my Twitter posts. I'm going, hmm, <laughs> is this really going to be sustainable? <laughs> so um, I stuck with it nonetheless, um, and I weathered the storm, and it was. One heck of a storm, to say the least. You know, I, I would I would spend hours and hours and realize that uh, that uh, it would just sit in the dark, similarly to the blog that I made the the year prior. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of uncertainty around that. But ultimately, you know, things things started to open up when I started writing uh, more more consistently, but also with a real focus on the hook, which is something I'm sure we'll we'll come on to, Matisse. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a one heck of a ride since then. And so since then, <clears throat> so you got to 100,000 or so followers. I think you're just about at 100,000 now on Twitter. Um, but that's not it, right? So that's, if I understand correctly, that's your, mm, the top of the funnel, if we would talk about in, in marketing terms, right? Yeah. And then what's, like, what's your business all about? So you've got a newsletter. Mm-hmm. How does that work then? Sure. So the newsletter through the noise this came about in april this year where uh-huh. i was online and my news feed would just get all of a sudden incredibly cluttered with a lot of sorry noise. just one, one question before you continue sorry for interrupting you so in, initially you just said look i'm just going to try to establish a presence for myself on social media on twitter specifically and then we'll see what I'll build on top of that. Is that mm-hmm. is that the case? Or did you have some idea already, some kind of strategy, how you're going to leverage that online? Presence? Sure. No, there was there was no strategy from the outset, Matisse. This was simply firing from the hip and seeing seeing what would stick. Um, hmm. So th- Through the Noise really came out incredibly organically through the content that I was consuming and ultimately, you know, bucketed into what I liked and what I didn't like and steered it towards, look, how can I give you this, this signal in a world of you know uncertainty and, uh, and noise, and make sure that the, the quality that I'm writing is you know, ma- making you the most informed and you know happiest you can be. Whether that be educating, entertaining, um, that that was sort of the the direction that I was that I was steering steering it in. Um, and at least how that sort of developed out, Matisse, it was it was very natural in in the sense of. I knew I was passionate about startups and early stage venture capital, and I guess pairing that with some, you know, wonderful stories, whether that be, you know, about the the PayPal mafia, so to speak, back in the mm-hmm. sort of early two thousands, or whether that be the story of, you know, Duolingo from uh, from humble beginnings in Guatemala. I think being able to sort of uncover these insights and really dive into these topics that, you know, uncover a lot of truths and principles that we can ultimately learn from is is massively valuable very interesting okay and send the, so then you built your newsletter on top of your basically funneling the visitors that come to your twitter profile funneling that into your newsletter which now has what over ten thousand subscribers right yeah i think we've just eclipsed thirteen thousand subscribers on that so uh launched is... that launched that back in april all right i mean congratulations those are in my opinion, those are pretty big numbers, especially it's all just or, well organic growth, right? I mean, correct, just for your correct. content. Yeah, no, I've I so, paid for zero paid ads. Uh, there you go. So, <laughs> so that's all just quality content that you produce. You know, one thing that I was thinking about when I was looking at your content, um, how do you think you manage to create space? So, one thing that I often think about a lot is when you're thinking about new business idea or about new, even just like marketing campaigns. Like, how are we going to stand out? How are mm-hmm. we going to be different? Because it often doesn't make any sense to create another business that's going to be just the same as all the others, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of newsletters and blogs out there that write business stories and communicate mm-hmm. stories and frameworks, kind of like what you're doing. What do you think? Did you think about your own positioning or how do you think you managed to kind of establish yourself as quite an authority at this at this point uh, in a space that 
on the surface at least seems relatively crowded. Mm. I think it's I think it's really impressive that you know that you managed to actually build such a big presence uh, relatively quickly. Yeah, there are definitely a couple of angles that I want to highlight around this, Matisse, because you are totally true in the space of you know startups, um, business frameworks, you know, mental models, systems. You know, you, you hear these buzzwords everywhere, but I think it yeah. takes a lot of tact and a lot of careful construction to build something that actually people want to watch people that want to revisit mm. and that and that's a, a big point there not just sort of a, a one-time flash in the pan but something that has already something that builds the trust with your audience enough that they go okay next time i see a thread by him or a newsletter post by him i'll click on it again because i know that the value i got last time was uh, was above my threshold so to speak so i think it's yeah. really really important there and at least one of the ways I like to do this, and perhaps the most obvious or unobvious from the angle you look at it, is building your own personal monopoly. And I think your unique perspective on the world is really, really cool because no one else has that. It's totally yours. And so your ability to share that and impart that on the world is, is free. And no one else shares that with you. So you are the best at telling your story and telling it from your perspective and your narrative and the way you put your spin on things. So I think mm -hmm. just from a, a high level, seeing that as your competitive advantage is super, super cool. And something that I've you know, really, really started to em embody Matisse. Um, the other thing that I wanted to highlight was, I guess, staying specifically to the, the length of the content, making it succinct. Um, to the point, I think it, it says it in very much the name of the content that I'm that I'm writing, which is through the noise. Where I'm very careful not to waffle or go on about points. You know, I mean, I'm obviously learning learning buckets as I do with you know the feedback emails that I get. Go, oh, this is great. This is terrible. You know, do do more of this. Do do less of that. But I think in terms of having it as a principle that you that you have, you know, trying to trying to have brevity in your writing, staying succinct and trimming the fat, so to speak, in, in, in anything you do just makes your audience a lot more, um, at least from the perspective of that, of that user, you know, they are a lot more, they're at least a lot happier with how they perceive mm -hmm. your content because it isn't, oh my goodness, I have to trawl through paragraphs and paragraphs to finally get to the point. It's, okay, he's actually highlighted it in bold in the first sentence. So mm. I guess from a TLDR <clears throat> perspective, it's it's quite nice. Interesting. So I want to get back to the point you mentioned you add your unique perspective, your own personality, your own spin on the content that you have, right? And I think that's such a critical part. And I, I've thought about that a lot because... I mean, partially just, I have a podcast, right? So it's like the podcast needs to have, again, the same as what you're doing. It needs to be different in some ways, right? It needs to be appealing to a certain audience. It needs to be not just a copy of all the other business podcasts out, uh, podcasts out there. And I remember reading, must have been like two years or three years ago, there was this mega thread by Naval. You know mm -hmm. Naval Ravikant, right? I, I assume. Mm -hmm. And he yeah, talked yeah. about this concept of productizing yourself. So Naval is, yeah. for those who don't know, he's a like very prominent angel investor from Silicon Valley, founder of the Angel List. Um, he's an angel investor in like 200 or 300 plus, anyway, hundreds of startups. And he's a bit of a philosopher as well, these days especially. He used to be more of a businessman and now he's more and more transitioning into a philosopher kind of persona. And he teaches, I don't know, he, he tweets about life and business. And he has this concept of productizing yourself where he talks about how every person is uniquely in its own unique way, the best in the world at something, right? And you have to figure out what is that thing that you're the best in the world at? And you keep redefining that and tweaking that until you figure it out, until you find out what, what you can be uniquely, exceptionally good at. And um, that's how you succeed or that's how you can become, well, financially successful, but also fulfilled because you're actually doing something that you're just talented at. Right. Um, and it's interesting. I thought about it quite a lot because it's like, how do you figure that out? Right. You just, you, you try different things. You, I think you bring a certain 
unique combination of experiences, right? So for your, in your case, you studied finance and then, well, I don't know what else you've, you've kind of done in life, but I guess you bring different perspectives from different, um, experiences that you had in life, different interests, certain unique, I don't know, personality type perhaps as well. Um, I'm curious, that's kind of how I think about it, but I'm wondering how you think about it and how did you go about discovering that angle or was it all just, you know, you were creating stuff, just being super authentic. I think it's super important. And I think also a lot of people struggle with that in my opinion, because everyone thinks, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm good at. I'm not really good at anything. Um, or you just see people out there who seem to be incredibly skilled and like, well, but I'm not as good as they are in that particular thing. Uh, but it looks like you found something that really works for you, right? In a, again, in a relatively crowded space. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned those two words there, but you productize yourself because if ever anyone now asks me for advice on, you know, how can I start writing online or creating content or at least changing the trajectory of my career? Those are the two words that I say, you must productize yourself. And they go, what on earth does that mean? And then I sort of go on to this sort of <laughs> diatribe or all on the sort of, at least what Naval wrote, wrote in that in that thread. But I think the, the underlying point of, look, if you can find what you are uniquely suited to provide the most value to the world at, then you'll do incredibly well, whether that be pottery, fine art, finance, you, you name it. It, it, it could really mm. take one of many, many different things. And at least how I've crafted this, but also reflected on it as I've gone about this, this last, this last 10 month period, Matisse is, I think in one way it's been, it's been naturally organic where going from January and starting writing, you know, I was, it was almost like feeding from a fire hose where I was learning every, I still am. I'm learning every single day about what to write, what not to write, how to write better cold emails, how to form better relationships, how to give without expectation, all of these things that, that you learn quite quickly and learn how, how this great online game works. And at least from that sort of natural element, I think it's incredibly rewarding in its sense that there's a lot of unknown when you, when you go about writing online or, 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 or creating content. And I think having that humility to just hold your hand up and go, look, I'm, you know, no one really knows what we're doing. We're only trying, trying our best and trying to write what we believe we are passionate about and what we believe other people can at least benefit from. And when you sort of strip it back to its core and see it like that as quite black and white and quite um, primal in, in its real essence, Matisse, it gets really, really cool because then, you know, nothing matters, but everything matters. I guess we're getting a little bit sort of philosophical here, but at least from, from my, from my perspective, you know, I, I am super focused in the day to day for what I can control, but at least from the bigger picture, from knowing what I'm uniquely suited to provide the world with, I know that it may accept it. It may reject it. And that's absolutely okay. But as long as I'm controlling what I can in the here and now, then I can at least go to bed at night with a smile on my face, knowing that I almost gave it, you know, really gave it my all. Um, and I guess left no stone unturned to use, uh, to use an analogy there. Um, so that's really how I, how I see things. Interesting. All right. Very cool. Um, good. So Twitter and then newsletter is, are you monetizing newsletter or what's, what's the plan there? Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of doing so. So since okay. quite quickly eclipsing 10,000 subscribers, um, I've just opened up the newsletter for, um, for partnerships. So mm -hmm. I guess businesses and individuals who I can get behind, whether they're an entrepreneur or an organization that's ultimately here to impart a lot of, a lot of value on the world and that I can help support and help uplift their message, whether that be through you know, sponsorship or whether that be through perhaps a deep dive into their, into their company and uncovering what they're doing and uh, the awesome ways that they're, that they're going to be changing the world. Those are, I guess, two different angles that I see things taking forward there, Matisse. Cool. And what do you think the planning is here? So I know I'm not sure how much of a strategy you have, because it seems like you're 
you're very much you're like doing things and then you just kind of see where the opportunity arises mm-hmm. and then you go after that that's from the you know the brief conversation that we had so far that's kind of what i got but um, i'm curious if you have any bigger plans here is like building a media empire or what do you think it's going to be in a few years from now perhaps yeah no i really like that question i think you are totally true in the essence of look i am building very much a portfolio of small bets so i focus on what i can control and how i can at least the angles that i do see if it's perhaps the thin end of a fat wedge and i can see that opening up then i will absolutely you know um give it give it the time of day and and the attention that that it deserves and that's you know what i'm doing today with with Tribescaler and also the, the the media arm with with through the noise too. The way I see this moving forward, Matisse, is look, I am always trying to increase the surface area of luck of not only myself but also the entity that is that is the newsletter. I think being able to iterate on the feedback that I get from my readers is massively, massively important and often overlooked by I guess creators in very much of an earlier stage where they perhaps overlook the initial feedback and just go with their perception of how they think things are versus how they actually are mm-hmm. which can often be wildly wildly different so iterating on the feedback that I get but also steering steering the ship to an entity that ultimately provides insight through storytelling and also you know fast fast hitting insights to the world of tech and startups and venture funding that can ultimately make you smarter each week. Mm, that's also true. That's also a good point. Mm, okay, that's cool. And then, okay, so you mentioned the, the portfolio of small bets before, right? Are you referring to, so there's Daniel Vassalo, I think is his last name, who talks about that. Or is yeah. there, or does that term come from somewhere else? I've heard him talking about it. It's kind of, to me, that's like his thing. Yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't actually know it was wholly attributed to Daniel. I think it's just something that I've picked up um, as part of the process. That's of just where I see it usually, but yeah, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, I think it's such a wonderful concept because, well, Warren Buffett has a great quote where he says, put all your eggs in one basket and look after the basket, which is absolutely one way mm-hmm. of doing it. And I think there is, or at least individuals have huge success going about things that way, but also the portfolio of small bets approach is rather appealing in, in, in the sense of, look, I am, I am me, I am Alex, or you are Matisse, and you are building, you're developing things that you have an innate curiosity for. That might be writing on Twitter, that might be recording a podcast, writing a newsletter. And by doing these things, we, we, we often see, okay, this works here, perhaps that doesn't work there. And by learning very quickly and iteratively, and, and by having speed as that fundamental principle, Mm. you quickly realize that this is quite a good thing to pursue but also on the other hand this perhaps is something that i should avoid and at least how that allows you to direct the future is okay perhaps it's time to drop item x and put all my attention to item y but Mm. you know that much quicker than if you were to perhaps just go for item x all the way and then hit a very very abrupt stop and get your sort of get your sort of uh hands muddy and your sort of backs backs on the floor and you're you're not in a particularly good place. So I, I see this not only as, I guess, a, a personal hedge, but as a way of just maximizing my my serendipity and my curiosity, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wildly passionate about a range of things, Matisse, and being able to pursue, pursue at least a few of these things, whilst also having the ability to make it sustainable as well and turn it into a cash flowing business is super, super cool. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate to that. It's quite interesting because for a while I was kind of beating myself up. I was like, man, this, this common knowledge is you are supposed to focus on one thing and just put all your effort and all your time into that. And then that's, that's going to be successful. Otherwise it cannot be successful, but I, I could never really, I never really enjoyed that. I would just naturally, I would always gravitate to like, at least doing at least like three different things at the same time, at the same time, meaning like having three different projects or ideas or something that I was developing. Right. And I, then I realized that there are people who are very reasonably successful. Obviously I don't think you can build the next Uber like that. 
Well, unless you're Elon Musk, he's like probably literally like the only person alive who can handle managing three gigantic companies at the same time. Uh, but you know, he, he's not a human, so that's different. <laughs> but, <laughs> normal us, us normal people, we can probably only manage um, a slightly lower amount of complexity, I suppose, and, and, and stress and effort and so on. But you can have what you you know what you said before a portfolio of small bets and. All of them can make some money um, and still maybe one of them eventually becomes huge, right? And, uh, you know, I would personally, I would always leave that option and let, yeah, maybe one of them just becomes huge and I'll say, well, everything else is now less important uh, and I'm going to focus on this one thing. But um, until that happens, you can easily, I think, work on several different things. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is while being careful about how you manage your time still and energy, of course, and finances yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, you, so you mentioned TribeScaler a few times, but I didn't really talk about what that is yet. So do you want to talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, sure. No, happy to. Um, yeah, TribeScaler is such a, a wonderful story, which I have huge amounts of, of passion for since launching back in September. But perhaps we, we should do a, bit of, do a bit more storytelling, Matisse, and I can sort of tell you some of the, the build-up to how yes, it was yeah, launched yeah. and my my ultimate passion behind it so perhaps the best way to to kick things off is with a a quote Matisse so Paul Graham um, incredibly famous um, in the in the startup scene uh, with respect to why why Combinator um, he famously said that look the way to get a startup idea is to not to try to think about startup ideas but it's to look for problems, preferably problems that you face yourself. And I think for, for me and how I saw this in the context of writing on Twitter, Matisse, was quite clear. When I started writing, you know, getting, getting eyeballs on your social media posts is incredibly difficult. It's a, it's a hard task to do. And, you know, I was struggling with it for the first three, three, four, five months that I was publishing online. You know, even if even if you're an individual who writes the best content in the world, you're still gonna face the same conundrum of, look, how can I get this piece of content, whether it be a TikTok, a YouTube video, a Medium article, a tweet seen by millions. But it's only when you look back, it, it, it becomes awfully, awfully clear what the to-do thing was. And I guess, you know, moving, moving that forward now, um, or at least relating it to, to, to my content creation journey. So back in December of 2021, Matisse, I, you know, I was trying my hand at Twitter as we, as we previously spoke about. And at the time, you know, I was crowded by imposter syndrome where I would, I've spent, you know, the, the past three, four, five years consuming individuals tweets their their videos their content and i'd very much been this this lurker that it's that it's termed and it's it's quite a nice rule on the internet called the one percent rule where look only one percent of users actually create content online nine percent uh -huh. interact they might comment they might like the other nine the, the other ninety percent only consume uh -huh. you know they they lurk <laughs> which is what i what i was doing and I guess shortly after making this switch Matisse between, you know, going from consuming vast amounts of content to going, okay, you know, I've, I've obviously started this, this master's program. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty to where, what, at least what I was doing after, but how can I now start, start creating? And this was when I crossed paths with another guy called Alex, <laughs> a guy called Alexander Leavark. Um He's from... Oslo in uh, in Norway, and I met him through through Twitter. <laughs> the power of the internet never never mm -hmm. ceases to amaze me. And whilst both of us were inherently new to the platform, you know, I was immediately blown away by his presence um, as an individual, as a character. You know, he had deep data expertise, deep knowledge of AI, and needless to say, you know, we we got on like a house on fire. And so. We shared this deep curiosity for 
what made you know these original gangsters of Twitter blow up. You know how will these individuals, how will these individuals, guys and girls, get you know five thousand likes, ten thousand likes, fifty thousand likes on their on their threads? What on earth was the secret source to going viral? I sure wanted in. I wanted to know what was happening under under the covers here because it was cool. So I think one point I do want to highlight here is look, it is challenging making content that people genuinely want to share. Right. So I guess seeing that and seeing that in its light, you go, how can I promote shareability? That's when the aha moment kicked in because uh-huh. the best content doesn't get read. The best hooks get read, at least with respect to, to Twitter, to TikTok. It, mm-hmm. You are grabbing the individual's attention. You want to s- stop their scrolling. That's the ultimate function of, 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 what, you're, of what you're wanting to do. So, at least with Twitter, look, the hook is the most important factor in the success of your content. If you have a mediocre hook and great content, your content will just sit in the dark. If you have a great hook but mediocre content, yeah, your content will get some eyeballs, but people will quickly swipe off because you're not following through. If you have a great hook and great content, that is where the Wombo combo lies because you're not only sparking emotion, but you're also following through with that promise, which is really, really cool. So at least how I was finding myself in this process in the early months of writing online, I was sending different versions of the hook to friends to get their response. You know, we were, we were going uh-huh. back and forth daily. I was asking, look, is this catchy enough? Am I drawing you in? You know, what, 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 are your, what are your comments on this? Am I sparking your emotion? Would you click on it if you saw it on your Twitter feed, Matisse? And I guess from this, the learning curve was exceptionally steep. Hence, well, you know, I, I, I alluded to this earlier where a lot of my content would just sit in the dark because I wasn't prioritizing the hook. And I think from this, you know, it's, it's, it very much raised the question of where, where was I going wrong? Because I was writing threads on Twitter, but I knew it was an important part to grow. But I, at, at least from the outset, look, it's very difficult for me to ideate 40 original thoughts per day, let alone make them go viral. So that meant in turn, I was prioritizing quality over quantity. You know, I was spending huge amounts of time coming up with these ideas, but not enough time, you know, how can I actually grab their, grab their attention? So mm-hmm. then beg the question, look, how can I actually do both of these things, quality of content and also capture attention at lightning speed? So that was when um, Alexander and I had this, you know, grand plan of look, how can we come together and how can we build something to help us win this great online game. So both of us wanted our our content to reach the masses, but there was a lot of, an awful lot of catching up to do with these individuals who were, you know, these guys had hundreds of thousands of followers. They were, they were rocking the socks off. They were, you know, real rock stars. And, you know, I, I was going, look, how can we not only be known and liked, but most importantly, but he's trusted Trust is absolutely paramount for everything that you do online. It it really sets the precedent for if an individual is going to watch your stuff, if they're going to subscribe to you, if they're going to believe in you enough to perhaps you know purchase something that you might offer to give them value. And so, trust is really the the epicenter of your of your online presence. So, from this, you know. Where could we, where could Alexander and I derive our unfair advantage? And that was when I actually stumbled across a tweet at the beginning of this year. And it was by a lady called Magdalena Karma. And she said that, look, effective data analysis and storytelling, this combination, it is the most dangerous superpower combination in the world of business. You know, these, these, these two skills, they, they underpin almost everything, you know, you've you've got fundraising, recruiting talent, building an excellent product, the selling, the marketing, everything inside of it is underpinned by these, by these two things. So as soon as that was, you know, properly internalized and that you needed both of, both of these things to win, I went, hmm, okay, Alexander, he has data analysis nailed. The storytelling part, 
I want to try my hand. <laughs> so that was when, at the beginning of this year, we were like, right, let's start to develop a tool that can be your own writing assistant and personal collaborator that's powered by AI, you know, leveraging Alexander's deep AI expertise with my, I guess, growing ability to, and at least growing enjoyment to tell a story. I thought, let's find the marriage of these two ideas and see and see what, what we can make happen. So that was when Tribescaler was born because the first iteration was glaringly obvious. You know, how can we write better hooks in seconds to help make your tweets go viral? And that was something that I was struggling with for many, many months on end. And so, you know, after months of testing and having hundreds of uh, early users test out the product, we are, we are here where we are today, Matisse. You know, we are just coming to the end of, of month two. Um, we are, you know, guns blazing and having an absolute whale of a time. It's been a real, a real joy. And we couldn't be more excited to take things going on into the latter half of this quarter and 2023. Very cool. So, so in its current shape, the, so Tribescaler now helps you, how, how exactly does it work? Can you kind of describe that? Sure. I'll, I'll talk you through a, a typical process. So say Matisse, I want to write a thread on startup storytelling. Okay, startup storytelling specifically by Elon Musk. So this was actually a thread I did not that long ago. It was his sort of storytelling principles that he used uh, back in 2015 when he was presenting the Tesla Powerwall, which was a, a great speech, um, which I, I, I recommend everyone to go and visit. Anyway, say for example, I want to write a thread on that because it's something that I love. I love startup storytelling. How can I create a hook that's going to really capture an individual's attention? So. The first place to start when you're kicking off your content creation cycle for this piece is Tribescaler. You go to tribescaler.com, you log in, you enter your keywords, which are storytelling, Elon Musk, principles, hit generate. And what it will do is it will generate for you six totally original hooks that you can use um, at the click of a button in a matter of seconds. You Now, you, you might start with keywords, but at the same time, you might already have a bit of an idea of what a hook might look like. You know, you might go, Elon Musk is worth X amount, X billion dollars. Um, his, here are 10 storytelling principles that will make you a better storyteller, something like that. But it, it's okay, but it, it doesn't quite have, you know, the ring to it yeah. that a great hook should. So what you can do is you can copy that and you can paste it into Tribescaler's hook refiner. And what it will do is it will generate different iterations of that hook for you that are better and subtly different that are perhaps better or just a little bit different that you maybe wouldn't have considered before. So then you can use those and you can edit it to suit your voice and you can mm -hmm. add your creative flair mm -hmm. and then you can pluck that, put it into whatever thread writer you use and off you go to the races and then you can go and mm -hmm. go with all out, all out creativity. That's, that, that's how it works in its initial. So we're very much focusing on the hook, which is the opener to, to your content. At least how we see this going, forward Matisse is really, really cool because the opportunities are unbounded, right? If we think about Twitter as a vertical, for, for instance, you know, we've got, we've got the thread writing process, which is, you know, we're starting incredibly niche. We're, we're not just going Twitter here. We're not just going thread writing, but we're going the hook in a thread in Twitter, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm, is yeah. a super, super niche product to start with. But yeah. that's exactly where we want to position ourselves because we want to, you know, ultimately monopolize this 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 niche and then ultimately the the market as a as a vertical so seeing it from going from hooks to then tweets where you can enter some keywords mm -hmm. or perhaps you've maybe consumed a great blog article or a newsletter or even a thread you can paste that in and it will repurpose tweets for you that are again uh -huh. totally original plagiarism free that you can use you can edit you can tailor to your own voice and you can have that as part of your inspiration bank and ultimately post that to to Twitter. So seeing it go from hooks to threads to tweets, and then perhaps if we go, okay, hooking the reader's attention is really, really important, but not just for Twitter. If we might think to LinkedIn, we might think to yeah. blog articles as well. We might think mm. perhaps SEO terms or maybe job descriptions or CVs and cover letters. And all of a sudden, the range of possibilities just opens up ads also come up in my mind you know absolutely um, absolutely directly people spend money on 
loads of money on ads, right? And if you can help them make those ads more, because it's, it's the yeah. same, the hook in the ad is the most important thing, right? Yeah. And it could be, well, it could be TikTok ads, but even more anything in text, whether that's mm. Facebook or, yeah, well, very cool. Okay. That's, and that's, I mean, 100%, you're riding the wave of the AI opportunities that are coming up with lightning speed right now. And I think it seems like you're just at the right place at the right time to uh, build on top of that, on top of the, what the technology allows us to do right now. And um, mm. I think people are starting to see how, how useful it can be, right? And how it's going to yeah. make a huge, huge difference, especially in content creation, but mm. I think it's going to go way beyond that as well. Yeah. No, totally true. And I, I just one point I do want to highlight there, Matisse, with respect to what, what you mentioned with with helping content creators, um, is there was a great speech by um, Sam Altman. So he is the CEO of Copy AI, and he gave or he was getting interviewed Open by AI, right? Reed. He's the CEO of Open, Open AI. AI. Open AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Open AI. And he was getting interviewed by Reid Hoffman, um, one of the general partners, um, and over, over, over at Greylock. And he was essentially saying that, look, the way AI, or at least 10 years ago, the way we thought AI would come for you know jobs and, I guess, layers of the economy was, look, first it would come for the blue collar work, then it'll be you know low skill, white collar, then high skill, white collar, so programming, coding, and then ultimately creative jobs. But how that's actually turned out to be is in the complete opposite. It's it's directly the creative output first, and then it's sort of scaling scaling back into that into that tier system, Matisse. So it's really really interesting to see. But I think one common misconception that people think about AI is that it's going to be incredibly binary. It's going to be you know the the, the humans will win or the machine will win. It's going to be one or the other. You know, it's, it's going to take our jobs yeah. where it went. Yeah. Versus if you adjust that framing slightly and go look. Actually, AI can be a real force for good because it can actually augment our creativity. It can enhance our creativity mm. as we go about our tasks, our working day, the tasks that we need to achieve. Seeing it in that light is massively, massively important because it then doesn't go from, oh my goodness, there's huge amounts of uncertainty. It goes, oh my goodness, there's huge amounts of opportunity. Mm. Where this will, will lead over the next few decades is super interesting and i could be more excited yeah yeah i know yeah it seems like it's one of the those huge groundbreaking groundbreaking things that are happening right now and they're very much you know out in the in the public in the eyes of everyone and mm. they are moving incredibly fast as mm. in the i think the development is moving very fast but also Every tweak that's happening right now, so obviously there's been GPT-3 and there's been DALI and so on and so forth. And we've talked about that on the podcast before on, on previous episodes. Um, and every small tweak there just creates this massive amount of new opportunities, right? Is it, do you see what Peter Levels is doing? Are you following that guy on mm -hmm. Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Do you see his latest AI tool? What is it like? The avatar something? Yeah, the, the, the avatar one. That was super, super cool. <laughs> that is wild. So there's yeah. this guy, for those who don't know, there's this guy, Peter Levels, who I'm, I'm yeah, we've, I've talked about him on the episode, on some of the previous episodes, because he's, a, he's just a fascinating guy. He's super, in, super interesting. Also, indie, indie the, uh, I guess, indie founder with a pretty large portfolio of bets now. And he's making, I think his total revenue is like over a million dollars per, per year for sure. Uh, with like some wild 70 or 80% profit margin or something like that. And his latest creation is, I believe it's called avatar.ai or like aiavatar.com or something like that. I'll have to look it up. I can link to, link to it in descriptions. Um, and he, what it does is, I think you upload your photos and it it feeds the AI algorithm. The AI understand how your face looks like, and then it generates AI generated avatars that look like you, but they're also enhanced in certain ways. Or you might you might look like a superhero, or yeah. like a cartoon character, or like a zombie, or like a Santa. Or he's got all these different styles, and it looks really cool. And I think it's going 
very much viral, at least on Twitter right now, because people are just posting their avatars and they're always tagging him and his business. And then everyone else goes ahead and they generate their, their avatars. And I don't know what's his latest revenue number, but he launched that, what, maybe three, four, five days ago. And I know that he already passed $10,000 in revenue. And that was yesterday, if not even earlier. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's in like tens of thousands at the moment. <laughs> With, again, just through his audience and just going viral, which is pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. crazy, crazy. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the point I, I'd love to make is that whilst there are millions of, of applications for AI, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about, look, how can we actually create an enduring differentiated business here with AI? Because mm. um, it's it's really mm. intriguing to go, there are a couple of approaches. One is, you know, how can we create, you know, something a little bit hacky, a little bit flashy that is like kind of cool, but what are the sort of long-term implications of it? And the other is, mm -hmm. okay, how can we actually build our own model for XYZ? And I think I'm I'm skeptical of both in the essence of if if you're trying to try to sort of build it from from scratch, you know you're wasting enormous amounts of time and you're and you're trying to compete with the likes of you know OpenAI and 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 yeah. and so forth. So if I, I think that the real value lies in that fine tuning of the model, you know you can create something with enduring value because you have a special tuned version of the model yourself and. Yeah. That then in turn builds your own data flywheel, which is your moat. And that is yeah. a real differentiator. Yeah, that that's where it seems to be right now. Yeah, mm. exactly. I haven't even, like, I haven't really tried building anything with AI, but with any of those, you know, existing models. But that's where I see that mm. existing products, that's what it seems to be their, their thing, their, their differentiator there. Mm. Interesting times. Um, what was I going to say? So uh, there's another question that came up in my mind when we were talking about, uh, you know, Twitter audience and the, um, you mentioned Lux surface area before, mm -hmm. which is a concept that I've also talked about before in the podcast at some point. Um, and I think having Twitter presence or having online presence, any sort of, you know, being out there dramatically increases your luck surface area because you're yeah. just out there and people know about you and people know about what you do and who you are. And um, I suppose they also kind of want to connect with you sometimes because, you know, I guess you come across as an interesting person. And you mentioned, so you met your co-founder through Twitter and I met you through Twitter, right? I see your content uh, and I was like, okay, the guy looks interesting. Let's, you know, let's have a chat. Um, are there any other opportunities that this brought to you, you know, being out there and building an audience? I think fundamentally, um, it's the relationships, right? Relationships mm. underpin every element, whether that be, you know, having a dinner with an individual or building a billion dollar business, each of which is defined by the relationships that you have and the relationships that you nurture. So I've met some fascinating individuals through, through my time on Twitter in a very short space of time. It has to be said, you know, I've only been here for a little over ten months, and you know, with with through the noise, the individuals that I've that I've chatted with there, you know, um, uh, a good friend of mine now, and whilst I've never met him in person, you know, speaking um, online, a gentleman called Dave Klein, so he's the ex COO over at Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest hedge funds in the world. You know, if if I were to think about me pursuing my career in traditional finance, going okay, when would I ever have the opportunity to interact with a man of that caliber? It would have been probably 10, 10 15, 20 years yeah. <laughs> versus yeah. compressing yeah. these compressing these timelines drastically, you know, speaking to yeah. general partners, um, founders, you know, of, of tier one VC funds and billion dollar businesses that <laughs> it's, it's wild to even comprehend. But that's yeah. what the internet does. It, it not only compresses timelines, but it but it, it increases your interconnectivity and opportunity to build relationships in a in a form which would have otherwise been impossible in a real world setting. Mm. Yeah, it's really it's really cool and it's really interesting. Also makes me think. I think a lot of people want to be on TikTok right now because it's you know, well. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there, obviously, and it's like this flashy thing, and you know, everyone sees it everywhere. Um, 
I think Twitter is a completely different medium. Um, that's much more. I'm not so I I don't use TikTok that much. We're trying a little bit now with the podcast, but um, I'm not an active consumer of 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 TikTok. Um, but I think Twitter is. I love Twitter because it's a bit more intellectual, and I think when you establish yourself on Twitter, you get your doors open to people like what you were saying right now. Whereas I think you don't get that on TikTok. I don't know. Right. Again, no personal experience, but. I just can't really see that happening on TikTok. Well, on Twitter is not so unusual. I think you, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's a testament of sort of your work and your intellect and your um, talent, but different talent than on TikTok. On TikTok, you're, you know, you're a talented entertainer more than anything else, right? Yeah. You can be educator as well, though. I'm, I'm, I'm not being, yeah, maybe I'm not being fair to some educators on TikTok there. I think the overarching principle is, look, go where your audience already hangs out. In the case of Twitter, yeah. you know, a lot of that is educational, um, similar to, yeah. you know, yeah. Reddit versus TikTok, Reels, Shorts. A lot of that is fast-paced, catchy stuff that a lot of people want to be entertained by, just for for the majority from the, the sort of lend exposure to have there. Um, but I think that's totally cool in that the, op the opportunity sets are quite different, but very unique. So seeing the merits for reach and, you know, totally respecting that and then going where you think your message is most uniquely suited, it would yeah. be my one piece of advice. Yeah. Um, one topic that I have to bring up considering what's happening right now, Elon Musk just bought Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts? What do you think? Are you concerned? Are you, do you think that's a massive opportunity? What do you think he's going to do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously seeing him walk into Twitter HQ with a, with a big old sink <laughs> and hearing, uh, you know, Rahul Ligma and, and what and a co, character. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> being, being I, this, you know, brutally fired. <laughs> I, I'm currently opening Twitter more often just to see what Elon is doing with it. Just to see either the rumors or the drama around it or the new features that are going to be popping up very soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just fascinating you know, to observe. I think, look, Elon is an incredible character. You know, he's he's got a very clear track record with seeing yeah. a vision, and his his speed of execution is unparalleled. You know, seeing that he was you know firing X amount of people, and you know, holding all hands on the new product development features, and 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 so on within a matter of you know hours. <laughs> it's it's yeah. completely wild, and yeah. a man who operates at that speed, you know, is capable of of huge things and that's seen with you know spacex uh, boring company tesla so i'm really excited to see where he will take things with twitter you know I'm, I'm a big advocate maybe from a financial standpoint it may not make the most sense but from a character building standpoint and from a opportunity for free speech for the world i think you know the, mm -hmm. the opportunities are, are endless and whilst there are you know drawbacks to that um that often that are often painted in quite a negative light i think from a holistic standpoint, it can be very much net positive for the world. Yeah. I just can't wait to observe uh, because we'll be all right there. It's all going to be happening right there in front of our eyes. And I'm just looking forward. I'm just excited to see how he executes, right? Because he's this, mm. you know, arguably you could say the best entrepreneur of our generation, right? And the best engineer of our generation. Yeah. Again, debatable, but one of the best for sure. And it's obviously insane that he did that considering that he already has SpaceX and Tesla to run. But mm -hmm. as you said, his track record is also just insanely good. So I think he's going to do something good with it. I do believe that he's going to go. I think he's one way or another, he's going to figure it out. Um, and he's going to upset a lot of people in the process, undoubtedly. And yeah. a lot of people are going to be angry and sad, but that's the price that um, I suppose he's going to have to pay. Um, I think that's just the kind of process that he got himself into. And that's, that's how much it's going to cost to just turn this ship around and make it also profitable, which I'm, I actually have very little doubt that he's going to make it profitable and that he's going to make it and make Twitter an even more successful business. And yeah, but mostly, as you said, it's just, in, just interesting observing his crazy speed of execution and 
just making stuff happen from literally yeah within the first few <laughs> few hours of finishing the transaction right yeah yeah uh, i could be more excited for tc it'll be it'll be a ride for sure it will be a ride yeah and yeah i'm just excited to follow what's what's going to be happening there um a few quick rapid fire questions for the end um sure what is the one book or person or experience that influenced your life the most oh goodness i think i would, I would have to choose book but i would yeah. slightly cheat and say it was a combination of two so one uh, yeah go ahead that's fine <laughs> yeah uh, fundamentally it was um so meditations by marcus Aurelius. it's a brilliant book you know early second century philosopher yes. um but yeah. i think when you look at when you look at that book and his writings outside of the context of just you know philosophy itself but to life to business to relationships how you conduct yourself as a man or lady and how you go about your business in day-to-day -day life i've found to be unparalleled <laughs> in, in, in its huh. in, in its writing and in its meaning so that would be i guess my my number one like and I, and I think slicing that pie would have to be the the almanac of Naval Ravikant by Eric um, Jorgensen. Yeah. That was another exceptional book. Um, I I read that and listened to the audiobook um, concurrently back in sort of September October last year, and that was one of the major impetuses for me to start writing online and to start productizing myself, as we've spoken about today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, when when you can when you can hold yourself accountable huge amounts of leverage and have that specific knowledge and impart it to to the world then great things are, are possible so a combination of those two nice yeah i've read the naval's almanac and i can only highly recommend it to everyone and it's a it's a thin book it's not it's not that much to read but it's absolutely fantastic hmm. um i have not read meditations i've heard good things about it and one thing that i remember about it is who said that somebody said something that it really stick with me stuck with me was um because meditations it was his diary right it was his his journal where he was just journaling Correct. it was never meant to be published right it was his personal it was never journal. meant to be published it was his his own personal yeah. thoughts you know it was advice from friends from colleagues mm. but also his day-to-day -day living and uh, his perception on the so, world so fascinating because you get to see what this incredibly powerful emperor was thinking about and doing on a day-to-day -day basis and just you, you get to read his private thoughts and it, they were not that different from like his struggles were not that different from everyone else's struggles that's what i heard uh from somebody who read the book and that that's kind of um calming or you know just makes you feel like well okay he was one of or maybe the most powerful person in the world at the time. Yeah. And he was just struggling with the same kind of issues uh, as a person, right? As mm -hmm. we struggle with today, or yeah. as every, every individual does. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And um, it's definitely on my reading list to, to dive into it at some point. Um, right, another question. So you obviously, you're a startup geek and you read a lot about companies and founders and i'm wondering if you have an opinion on what separates okay founders from great founders yeah yeah sure the single most important trait of an entrepreneur matisse is an individual who can tell a story those okay. are the people who mm -hmm. garner attention those are the people who hire talent those are the people who get the fundraising those are the people who win the deals if you are an exceptional storyteller then you are destined for a lot of good luck and, a, and at least a higher probability of a favorable outcome. Now, at the same time, you also have the, or at least that element taken to the extreme because you might get a Theranos, you know, another Elizabeth Holmes where all she right, did was storytelling yeah. and there's yeah, no yeah, yeah. proof in the pudding, so to speak. So you've got to be an exceptional storyteller, but also deliver on the value that you mm. intend to provide to the world. Yeah, that's it. I, you mentioned that several times. You have to deliver. You have to have trust in yourself. That I, I can see that that's important to you, and I can only just agree that that is that is the fundamental part, right? Once you burn that, um, it's very hard to rebuild it. Yeah. Um, 
And final question, which I also think you're, I have a sense that you'll have a good answer to it. Let's see. Uh, but what's your strategy for consistently improving yourself? I think a lot of humans, but um, especially anyone who's fairly ambitious, it's like, I need to get constantly better and better and better. And that's, that's an yeah. important aspect of life. I love that. Consistently improving myself. Um, okay. I think radical open-mindedness would be my answer. The always having the humility to be proven wrong and be proven otherwise. Uh -huh. I think if you approach, if you approach life with that, you'll do, you'll do very well because you're always a truth seeker. You always want to retain your unique take on the world and never take anything as gospel. You want to be finding your believable parties who can um, help find those those truths individually um, to lead to that constant improvement. So radical um, open-mindedness would have to be my answer. Awesome. Cool. Well, Alex, thank you so much. This brings us to the end. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think a lot of people can learn a lot from you, especially when it comes to storytelling, content creation. Um, I would say you absolutely mastered those things. And I'm just, I'm just looking forward to observe what else is going to come, uh, what else you're going to create. I mean, it's, it's truly impressive um, how much you've accomplished in this space in a short period of time. So... Man, I just wish you best of luck. And yeah, everyone go follow Alex. We're going to link to all your profiles, your newsletter. Um, we're going to link to everything in, in the episode description. So everyone go check out Alex. Uh, he shares a lot of cool stuff on business and startups and mental models and so on. So man, thanks a lot. Really enjoyed this. This has been a real pleasure. You know, I, I always love conversations like these that are you know raw, open, honest, and you can really dive into dive into an individual's character so thank you for having me on absolutely absolutely take care thank you buddy thanks for listening until the end i hope you enjoyed it if you like the content please do me a favor and click the like button on youtube or give us five stars on spotify apple podcasts wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts uh, leave a comment Subscribe if you want to hear more from us. Uh, that really helps also to get the podcast out there and that helps me get more interesting guests and create even more interesting content. So I really appreciate it if you do that. If you have any other comments, questions, feel free to message me. You can find me on Twitter. That's usually the best channel. Um, the link should be somewhere in the description. And uh, yeah, check out my Twitter. I try to tweet interesting stuff about similar content that we talk about on the podcast. Um, key insights from the podcast as well and just generally stuff that I learn and stuff that I do. So, see you. Thanks. <laughs>